Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And before we uh, start today, want to just remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast, wealthformula.com. That's where you can get all sorts of different kinds of resources, downloads, et cetera. And that's where you sign up for our list to get more engaged with our community. You can sign up, for example, to the Wealth Formula Accredited Investor Club, where you can participate in potential deal flow. If you are an accredited investor, check that out. You can sign up at wealthformula.com and then you'll go through an onboarding process. And then you, you can you could get some of that lazy money off the sideline before it deflates too much in this massively inflationary environment. Today, our guest is going to be Brandon Hall. Now, this is a really interesting podcast because basically, you know, the, the, the real value in real estate investing, well, there's lots of value in real estate investing, obviously. You know, we make these great profits and we're able to utilize leverage and all these things. But one of the really exceptional things in my view, and I think most people who are active in the real estate space are all the tax advantages. Because, you know, even if you're making, you know, I think in our group or multifamily, like people are averaging 30% IRRs and things like that, these huge numbers, right? But if you had to pay half of that in taxes, uh, that wouldn't look as pretty anymore, but there are ways, right? There are ways that are totally legal and they benefit significantly the real estate investor. And that's why we invest in real estate. So this particular podcast is nice because, you know, Brandon is a CPA who's focused primarily on real estate. So we're going to start with some basics about real estate. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, why it's beneficial. And then we will get in to the nitty gritty. I know a lot of you are interested in real estate professional status and all that. So we will have all of that and more after these messages. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. 
now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Brandon Hall. Brandon is a uh, certified public accountant, national speaker, and is a founding managing partner of Hall CPA PLLC. He works with real estate investors, syndicators, private equity funds, and helps them to optimize tax positions and streamline accounting and business functions. Uh, Brandon believes that real estate investing is critical to building sustainable and generational wealth. He's worked at some big firms like Price Waterhouse, Coopers, Ernst & Young, prior to launching his own CPA firm, Hall CPA PLLC. He has uh, got his own podcast as well. I believe it's called The Real Estate CPA. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Brandon, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. It sounds like you have an awesome group behind you. So, Oh, yeah. I can't. Well, the, the Wealth Formula Nation is one of a kind. It truly is. We talked a little bit offline. This is a, a real group with a lot of interests, uh, smart people, and lots of questions. So uh, you you uh, obviously are CPA and you, uh, you know, you, you were at Pricewaterhouse and, and, you know, with these big four type places. Why did you focus on um, real estate as sort of your specialty? <laughs> yeah, great question. So when I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I was probably three months into my corporate career realized uh, I wasn't going to last. I didn't, didn't see that for myself. So I immediately started looking for a way out. And at the time, and I believe that the movement's still strong, the financial independence retire early movement. Um, I kind of found that fell into that found real estate and realized, Hey, I can buy a bunch of rentals and I can replace my day job. So I bought a rental, bought a three unit rental uh, and it, it cash flows 700 bucks a month. I still have it today. It's beautiful. But I started like looking at my Excel sheet and realizing, okay, I would have to buy like 20 of these to really get to where I want to be. And that's going to take me, you know, 15 years at this CPA salary rate. So this isn't going to work. So I started looking for entrepreneurship op opportunities and around the same time got involved in the bigger pockets forum. Saw a lot of people asking tax questions, just decided to start answering them. And uh, it just sort of snowballed into the firm that I have today. So I've got 40 people now. We are national. Um, we work with clients in every single state. We are solely focused on real estate, have about 700 clients. And we go, we go all the way to like the, the private equity firms. We've got one that's got a billion and a half under management and we're their CFO. So we do everything for them all the way down to the mom and pops that just bought their first short-term rental out in the Smokies or at the beach wow. or something. So how many CPAs? See it all. How many, is it 40 CPAs? Uh, no, no, no. I think we have like 20 or so CPAs. Yeah. About half the group. Well, um, you know, this is a, this is a group that's very familiar with real estate, but you know, just 
just to set the stage, uh, remind us some of the major primary tax benefits of real estate investing in, in this type of, uh, you know, investing as opposed to other things. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think where I'd like to start with this is just in general, what are the benefits of real estate? Because Mm -hmm. I think what happens in high income groups, they all get together either online or in person and they start talking about the tax benefits of investing in real estate. And, and typically the conversation terms turns to tax losses. Yeah. And then, you know, 90% of the groups going, well, I, my CPA didn't allow me to claim my tax losses. So that must mean that I'm not getting any tax benefits. So I want to start there. I want to address that. Sure. When you buy a rental, let's say you buy a rental for a hundred thousand dollars and, or you could buy a fractional rental, right? Like if you're investing in syndications, same mm-hmm. concept, I buy a rental for a hundred K. Uh, let's say that I, I have $6,000 of cash flow throughout the year and I have $8,000 of depreciation expense for whatever reason. Maybe I'm accelerating some depreciation. So my $6,000 in cash flow, that's cold, hard cash that hit my pocket, but I have enough depreciation to create a tax loss. So what's important to understand is that the cash flow is tax deferred now. I'm not paying tax on it today, thanks to that depreciation. Now, if I have a tax loss, once I factor in that depreciation, I may not be able to claim that tax loss. So let's just call it 2000 bucks. Let's say I have a $2,000 tax loss. I work full-time at my CPA firm. So I would not be able to claim that tax loss unless I meet one of the exceptions to the passive activity loss rules, which we can talk about here in a few minutes. But the point is, is that I still receive $6,000 of cash flow, and I didn't pay tax on the $6,000 of cash flow today. And that's what I want people to not lose sight of is the fact that if you invest in real estate, the cash flow coming back to you, you're not paying tax on that. So even if you can't use the tax loss, you are still benefiting. But that depreciation is really the main benefit to investing in real estate because it just defers the recognition of the tax that we have to pay on that cash flow and uh, and just owning that asset. And this goes back to just again, just as a, some basic 101 stuff on this, the idea of different baskets of income. Do you want to kind of uh, outline that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we got that $2,000 tax loss and the question then becomes, can I use the tax loss? And to answer that question, we have to look at section 469 of the internal revenue code. It came into effect in 1986. And when it came into effect, it created two buckets of income. So there's a passive bucket of income and there's a non-passive bucket of income. But before 1986, I could be a physician earning a million dollars a year, go buy a rental property, cost segregate it, accelerate the, accelerate the depreciation and take a big tax loss against my physician salary. So the section 469 rules that were implemented in 1986 were implemented to stop people working full-time in non-real estate businesses from using rental tax losses against their non-real estate income. So after 1986, the same physician that could, you know, use the rental losses last year, they can't use it this year unless they qualify for an exception. So these rules created the passive bucket and the non-passive bucket. And what they say is all rental activities are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. And any trader business that you do not materially participate in is passive. So any rental activity that I buy is automatically going to flow into that passive bucket. Uh, and any trader business that I invest in that I'm not materially participating in, like let's say I go put $100,000 into my local hair salon, 
to help them with expansion opportunities. They give me $10,000 a year back in net profits, but I'm not participating. I'm not making decisions. I'm not voting. That is passive income. So that also goes into the passive bucket. Passive losses and passive income can offset each other, but passive losses cannot offset non-passive income. So that's the other bucket. So non-passive income is my W-2 income, my, my CPA firm income, since I materially participate in the CPA firm, right? So that's all non-passive income. So, so what happens is the $2,000 of net loss that I was talking about in my prior example flows into my passive bucket and it's going to be stuck there if I don't have any passive income or I, I, can, I can qualify for an exception to the passive activity loss rules. One of those is real estate professional status, which I'm sure everybody has heard of. So if I can qualify for that exception, then I can effectively jump the $2,000 tax loss out of the passive bucket and put it into that non-passive bucket. And that's ideal because that's where my W-2 income is. That's where my business income is. And then I can use it to offset that type of income. So this is uh, just a, a lot to unpack here, but uh, just for for the audience sake, there's a number of physicians out there, and this is a, a very interesting thing. Uh, a lot of a lot of you are not old enough, and I wasn't old enough to you know uh, have the good old days being a physician back in the early '80s, where you were making ridiculous amounts of money and reimbursement was great, and you would be able to buy these apartment buildings and uh, you know basically uh, depreciate all of that you know millions of dollars against. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I mean, that those were like the seriously good old days for doctors. And so now we've got this, um, uh, this, this other, since 1986, we've had these other rules in the basket. So, so anyway, that's where we're at now. Um, uh, you mentioned, and I want to get into rep status in a bit, but some other potential exceptions, what, what other kinds of exceptions are there for this, uh, you know, for, for, you know, using passive, uh, depreciation against potentially other types of income. Yeah. So, so the exceptions allow you to move the rental losses out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. And again, that's ideal from a tax optimization standpoint. I'd rather do that than have my losses be suspended. And, and if my losses are suspended, you don't lose them. They just carry forward. So we get that question every once in a while, but they are suspended passive losses. Now, the three exceptions, uh, the first one is real estate professional status. So if I qualify as a real estate professional and we can go over these rules in a second, um, then I can jump my, if I qualify as a real estate professional and materially participate in my rental activities, then I jump my rental losses out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. So that's ideal. Uh, two other exceptions are if I sell my rental, so I can sell a passive activity at a gain and my passive losses can offset the passive activity gain. So rental B can offset rental A, right? My syndication losses can offset my rental gains. Um, and then the third the third exception is if I earn less than $150,000, I can claim up to a $25,000 passive activity loss allowance and there's some rules in there um, that you know you need to be aware of. Like you got to own 10% of the activity, you got to be actively participating, uh, and you only get the full 25k if you're below a hundred thousand dollars in earnings. Once you get above a hundred, between a hundred and 150, that 25,000 dollars starts to phase out. So it's actually kind of interesting because every once in a while we'll get clients that are like 155k, and they're like, "Oh, I'll just I'll put six thousand dollars in my 401k, and then I get twenty five thousand dollars loss allowance." I'm like, yeah, that's not how it works because mm-hmm. you'll be at one forty nine out of one fifty, and that means you get like five hundred dollars of that passive activity loss allowance. So you really got to get 
down in the earnings to qualify for that. But that's nice. If you can qualify for that passive activity loss allowance, it's nice because it's a very low threshold sure. um, of like work that you have to do to actually qualify. You don't have to be a real estate professional. You don't have to materially participate. So that's a nice one. There is a fourth exception. Um, and it's kind of like not, not an official exception, but it is the short-term rental loophole. Yeah. Talk about uh, that. I, talk I keep about hearing well. about that. Something I don't know a lot about, but what, what is, what is that little loophole we're talking about? Yeah. So, so the rules it's, I have to start by explaining the rules to real estate professional status because then yeah, it'll yeah, all make sure, sense. Sure. So, so again, I'm going to keep repeating myself because I know that this is a lot to take in. So just bear with me. The passive activity loss rules say that they create two buckets of income, passive and non-passive. All my W-2 income, my business income, where I materially participate, that's in the non-passive bucket. Ideally, I can move my rentals into the non-passive bucket, but they are default in the passive bucket. So all rental activities where I am not a real estate professional, that is in that passive bucket, right? So the question becomes for a, uh, well, let me back up. Qualifying as a real estate professional means spending 750 hours and more time in real property trades or businesses than anywhere else. So what happens with physicians, for example, is you're working full time at your hospital or private practice, and you can't spend more time in real estate than you can at your W-2 job or at your business. And as a result, you can't qualify as a real estate professional. So when the passive activity loss rules say all rentals are passive, unless you qualify as a real estate professional, well, you lose because you can't qualify as a real estate professional. So all your rentals are going to be passive and that's it. Game over. And that's where short-term rentals come in because the, the definitions, the words that we use are very important. So the passive activity loss rules say, again, all rental activities are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. So the question becomes, what is the definition of a rental activity? And so we go to the treasury regulations and the treasury regulations define what a rental activity is not. And they say a rental activity is not a, a rental where you have an average period of customer use of seven days or less, which is most short-term rentals. So if I have an Airbnb or a VRBO property and I, I have an average period of customer use of seven days or less, then I don't have a rental activity under section 469. So if I go back to those passive activity loss rules and it says all rental activities are passive, unless you qualify as a real estate professional, I get to ax that line because I don't, I don't have rental activities. So I don't have to worry about real estate professional status. I do have to go down to the next piece of this, which is if you don't materially participate, it's still passive. So I, if I have a short-term rental where the average period of customer use is seven days or less, and if I materially participate in that short-term rental activity, then that will be a non-passive activity, meaning that I can cost segregate it, bonus depreciate it, create a large tax loss, and I can use that tax loss to offset my W-2 income, my CPA firm income, even if I'm working full-time at those jobs. That's the beauty of this, is I can still be a full-time employee running a full-time business and still use short-term rentals to offset my, my income and my tax. Got it. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, REP says real estate professional status, because this is, uh, you know, this is a, obviously a big, uh, big thing, uh, for people if they can qualify, it, it, there's tremendous, uh, opportunity here. 
but I think the let's talk about what exactly the rep status is. How do you qualify? Um, and uh, and then we'll kind of move on from there. So to qualify as a real estate professional, you need to spend 750 hours in a real property trader business, and you need to spend more time in those real property trades or businesses than you do anywhere else. So if I, if I'm a full-time physician, uh, I cannot qualify as a real estate professional. And, and I think that that's typically a shock to, uh, to high income earners because they're very, very ambitious. Uh, I know I am myself and I don't like to be told no, but that is the way that it works with real estate professional status. If you are a full-time employee or you are working in a business full-time, you cannot qualify because you cannot work more in real estate than you can at your full-time job or your full-time business. Um, so you got to spend 750 hours in more time in real estate than anywhere else. Typically the conversations divulge into like what hours count, what hours don't count. Um, we got to remind ourselves that, you know, the IRS does audit this. It's the, it's one of the most litigated pieces of the entire tax code. So you got to be really careful, cross all your T's, dot all your I's. Anybody that tells you it's easy to get, they don't know what they're talking about or they haven't been through the audits. So you got to be really careful but typically the people that lose IRS audits with real estate professional status are people that book research time, education time, uh, travel time as, as qualifying hours. Uh, none of that time is going to count as material participation hours or real estate professional status hours. And it's not going to count because that's the easy stuff, right? It, it's like I could sit on realtor.com all day long and count it as research time. Um, so they're not going to, they're never going to count that stuff. You got to be down at the property, swinging the hammer, moving, moving things around. You got to be dealing with tenants, leases, evictions, that type of stuff. That time is going to count. And if you think about it, it's like all that time is like property manager type time, right? So if you have a property manager, look at what they're doing. That's your real estate professional status time. So well, that's so, a, so a really I'll, simple way to think about it. So that's an interesting <laughs> topic you bring up because obviously, you know, you're representing some big players in real estate yeah. too. And, you know, Donald Trump is a real estate professional. He's not swinging hammers, right? Yeah. Uh, talk about this distinction there because, I mean, obviously there's, I mean, I, you know, like, you know, there's certainly there's underwriting, there's making decisions on properties and uh, leases and due diligence and all that. But when you look at sort of higher end, you know, real estate syndicators and, I mean, are are, are we talking about the same type of criteria here? I mean, is Donald Trump walking around filling out his diary? You know, like <laughs> that. These, so these are like, I'm curious about this. It's always like, you know, for somebody like me, like, I mean, like I'm really a full-time real estate guy. Right. And I do keep yeah. a diary and stuff, but sometimes I sit there and I'm wondering what the, you know, what am I, I mean, seriously, like, you know, we've got, you know, a couple billion dollars of real estate under management. Am I really keeping a diary? But I am. So talk a yeah. little bit about that. Or is this come down to, you know, listen, the litigation is in the cases that are not that obvious, right? Like, yes. So, yes, so talk exactly. a little bit about that because there's the law and the technicalities and then there's reality of what's obvious and what's not obvious. Yeah. Great, great points and great questions. So first I just want to disclose, I am not Donald Trump's CPA. <laughs> so I don't, so you don't know, if, know you don't know about the diary. Out. You don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Um, right. but, 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 uh, you do bring up a good point. So if, Hey, if I'm syndicating real estate full time, but I'm not necessarily the one swinging the hammer, what's the deal now? 
we kind of swing on the side of you're probably safe because you're in the real estate game full time. Uh, we would probably peg you under the real property operations trader business. There's 11 real property trades or businesses that the IRS uh, or the internal revenue code lists out mm-hmm. as, as qualifying real property trades or businesses. Real property operations is one of those. And that's all the things that you would do as yeah. an owner right. of a business as a property. So I would say you're probably fine. Um, one of my partners, Tom, would probably say that you're fine as well. Uh, if you are the, if you're a syndicator that raises a ton of money and hands it to somebody else that's sponsoring the deal, like the actual sponsor, and they're the ones that's on the phone with the property management company all day long, maybe you have some risk there. Uh, but, but typically the people that are doing this full time are, are fine. Like they're, they've got enough going on. I mean, and, you're a and general partner on, you know, billion dollar real estate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that said, I would still highly encourage you to keep a time log yeah, only yeah. because there, there was a tax court case and it's slipping my mind right now, but I've got it in my doc somewhere. It's tax court case where, where a real estate agent, uh, didn't produce a time log and was thrown out and a real estate agent, it, like brokerage is a real property trader business. So you know, keep the time log regardless, because it's just, you asked the question of like, are they only kind of like litigating these edge cases? And, um, they're, they're litigating cases. The IRS is going to litigate cases where they think that there's a return on their time, right? A return on their investment. So if they audit you and you've got everything in order, they're probably going to leave you alone. If you audit, if they audit you and you're booking like thousands of hours of research and education time, you book the the listening to this podcast as, as reps hours and stuff like that, you are going to be audited pretty hardcore. You're probably going to lose that audit. And then you're going to have to go battle it out in tax court where you're probably also going to lose. So you just gotta, like, if you, if you keep great documentation, you do it legit, you generally have nothing to worry about. Um, I don't know if that, no, that 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 makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think like, that's the point I was, trying to get at though is you know there's different skills of this you know being a owning a duplex versus you know being you know kenny mcelroy or any of these you know uh, other guys out there who are doing you know tons of real estate um what is your and i know you have you've talked uh about you know defending audits uh, before and you've you've had these situations where you've defended people for rep status yourself what is your sense about the actual um, auditors and their level of knowledge in this space? And, and the reason I ask you that is because you know I've, I've you know I've been audited a few times, and um, for various reasons, as I think anybody who generally makes a lot of money can do, or will, will have happened. But I've never found them to be particularly sophisticated. I, I you know I, I always feel like they're kind of. Because you, you, the stuff that you're talking about, some of it gets pretty nuanced. Yeah, and and I'm I'm just curious, like in your experience, like are these auditors coming at you with, I mean, stuff that you know a lot of real estate CPAs aren't even bringing up? Um, yes and no. I mean, they are. So I would say auditors are relatively sophisticated. Um, they understand real estate professional status, the nuances, they understand all the tax court cases. Uh, I have found ourselves not really, I mean, we, we do a little bit of kind of, Hey, here's our position. Here's why a little bit of that sort of explanation, education type of stuff. Um, but typically they already know. Now I will say that, that we, we have not had any of our clients like, so I shouldn't say we, we have one right now that, um, that is getting audited, but, um, 
the audits that we've helped in, we get pulled in mid audit because people listen to our podcast. They read, they, they get audited for real estate professional status. So then they go and listen to our podcast. They read our big guide and then they call us up and say, please help me with this audit. Uh, so we get pulled in and then we'll review the records. And it's like, you know, we, we typically, I would say 95% of the time are delivering bad news right from the get go. It's like, yeah, we, you have a thousand hours of research. It's not going to fly. Uh, and they always lose every single time. Um, we, we've won, we've won a few where it's just kind of like, or I shouldn't say we won cause we're just kind of like edge consulting. We're not really like in there in the thick of it with them and their tax pros, but we, we have helped guide conversations and guide audits and help, help people win those audits. So it just kind of depends. I mean, most of the people that are losing are the ones that are booking all the education time and the research time. And they think that it's just, again, it's just the easy time to book that you think that qualifies you, but it just doesn't. And the IRS will tell you it doesn't. And then they'll just, they'll just back the entire thing out and tell you to battle it out in tax court. And then the recommendation is going to be, don't do that. Cause that's going to cost you 10 grand and sure. you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, Right. Sure. Going back to, um, talking about the baskets a little bit. Um, you have people who in our group, um, I've, I've come across this a few times and have been asked and uh, I mean, I I don't know, CPA, I'm not a CPA, obviously I, I know a little enough to be dangerous, but I try not to be dangerous. Um, what happens, um, you know, for example, in my group, you know, in our investor group, people invest in tons of real estate and they've got you know, and they may have like a half million million dollars of losses that they're just you know not um, that that they're not able to use against ordinary income. Um, maybe they sell their practice in the next year. They're like, you know what? I've got a bunch of money. I'm just going to become a real estate professional. I'm going to do all this. So so they make the move, right? They do they do that. What happens to their what happens to the passive losses that were suspended? They can't get activated in, uh, in the rears or can they? You mean when you qualify as a real estate professional? In yeah. The future? If you, if you've got right. a bunch of passive losses that you've accrued over time, then one year you make the leap and now you're in a, you're, you're yeah. legitimate REP. What happens to those passive losses? You, you have the right understanding. So if you have prior suspended passive losses, qualifying as a real estate professional will not unlock those losses. The only way that you can tap into those prior suspended losses is to generate current year passive income or sell a passive activity at a gain that those suspended losses would then offset. So that's the only way to tap into those prior suspended losses. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell us, uh, Brandon, tell, tell us a little bit more about, um, like your practice and, you know, if people want to uh, engage um, in various ways, um, how they how they could potentially do that. I mean, you it sounds like you work sometimes in advisory roles. Sometimes you have actual clients. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so there's there's generally two options to come on board with us. So option number one is the very low cost option. It's more of a like course education platform that we've built out. We run tax boot camps. The whole, the whole idea there is for you to just come get educated on this type of stuff so that you can take it back to your own CPA. Like we don't want to blow up relationships with your, your best friend CPA guy that you've been using for a long time or gal. Um, but we do want to make sure that landlords are educated because we see a lot of bad low quality tax advice and tax returns. So we've got a boot camp. We've got some courses. You can check, check, uh, we've got a free community group on Facebook called tax smart real estate investors. 
I think it's just facebook.com slash tax smart investors. Check that out and you'll see like our boot camps and stuff there. If you want to come on board as an actual client, we have two options. The first option is to come on board as a, uh, with, with tax advisory. So you'll have an advisor, they'll sit down with you. It's a whole year thing, but the first like 45 to 60 days are more intensive. It's a planning process and we'll map out everything that you need to be focused on over the coming years. Uh, so people walk out of that, like, I mean, our, our average NPS score, net promoter score is like a 9.7, which is ridiculous. I think at the CPA industry, the average is like a six. What's that? Um, yes. Net promoter score. It basically just asks like, how likely are you to refer us to a friend or family member? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is if you get like above a nine, you've got promoters of your business. And if you're below a six, you've got detractors. CP, the CPA industry in general kind of stinks at client service. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's very yeah. true. It's very true. Yeah, for sure. And it's <laughs> hey, we've like, dropped you know, the ball a lot, a lot too, but our advisors, they crush it. So if you're interested in that, um, you can go to the realestatecpa.com and there's a big become a, uh, become a client button that you can, you can click. But, um, but if you're running like a syndication or a fund, or if you're a larger operator, uh, if you've got a larger portfolio, we do a whole lot of outsourced accounting, controller services, CFO services, and we're really growing that practice out right now. Um, and if you're interested in something like that, you can also go to therealestatecpa.com and click that become a client button. Um, and we'll, we'll take care of you there too. And then you have a, and then you obviously have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. So the podcast is called Tax Smart Real Estate Investors Podcast. We actually just switched it from the Real Estate CPA podcast to a little rebrand. Um, yeah, we have we have a few hundred episodes, uh, 100,000 downloads a month on average. Uh, it's a pretty big, pretty big one. But yeah, we, we do deep dives into these types of topics, but we try to break it down into layman's terms. So like that whole short-term rental thing that I just explained. I think we have like seven episodes on that, uh, real estate professional status. We have like six or seven episodes on and we'll label, we label them. So it's easy to go find them, but yeah, definitely check that out. Um, a lot of people give us really great feedback about it. Good stuff, Brandon. I appreciate you being on and I, I'm sure well formula people will be, uh, contacting you in short order. Uh, so good, good luck. And I, Hopefully we'll, we'll not overwhelm you guys with too many people, but there, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this show. So I want to thank you again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. I'd love to have you on again in the future sometime. Thanks, Buck. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. And again, if you want to reach out to Brandon, uh, go ahead and do it. I mean, I think sounds like he knows what he's doing. So I think, you know, uh, the moral of the story here, in my view, though, is that, listen, the this is a, you know, REP status thing in particular is something that, like, I think a lot of people want, but you really got to make sure that you're not on the fringes. I think if you're on the fringes, you, you're running a lot of dangers. So if you got a full-time job, you're not going to be able to be a real estate professional. I literally know people who are doing that and I just, you know, you're, you're playing with fire. So anyway, be careful. And you know, if you can become an REP for real, that's great. Otherwise enjoy the, you know, converting some of that income, a lot of that income that you're getting into passive income. And then, you know, then use that basket. We see that a lot in our group. We have people who've gone own businesses passively, maybe their surgery centers or whatever, their passive income, and then they are able to use real estate losses against that. So that's another consideration as well. Either way, there is a, there's not a whole lot of downside to investing in real estate 
certainly from a tax mitigation standpoint. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.